Hi, this is Brendan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and I'm here with Joel Clark for another episode of Wusha Workshop. And today we're doing a movie that we've been meaning to do for a long time. This is one of my favorite films. I've already covered it on the blog and on the podcast many times, but now we're going to talk about it in the context of gaming. And that's Come Drink With Me, starring Cheng Pei Pei and directed by King Hu. Uh, this is, you know, uh, uh, a really classic Wusha film. Um, it's 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 part of the first sort of like the, the early wave of new Wuxia films uh, from Shaw Brothers in the mid '60s. It was it came out in 1966, so it has a real sort of uh, sort of a, now it looks a little bit old fashioned, but at the time it was quite cutting edge. And uh, and yeah, so uh, the film is about the character Golden Swallow who has to deal with these bandits that are holed up in a temple and have kidnapped uh, the governor's son, who I think is the sheriff if I'm not mistaken, or some kind of warden. And so she's sent to rescue him. She ends up meeting this, uh, this guy named Drunken Cat, and they team up and they go up against the bandits. But we find out that there's a lot more to these bandits and their leader than we initially think. So, so Joel, what was your reaction to the movie? Um, well, the first thing that really caught me off guard about it was just how like gritty it was. Uh, usually with Shaw Brothers movies, there's a lot of theater, especially in the fights. And so I was expecting a little bit of flash. Mm. And, and this movie takes a different tack, which was surprising and really immersive and engrossing. Like, the fights have a certain kind of reality and weight to them. Like, it actually looks like they're fighting with swords, um, skillfully fighting. And every once in a while, there's one of those little flashes where a, a special technique is used or someone exhibits a kind of a, a beyond human skill. And it, it really heightens the impact of those moments. And it makes, like, all the combats really, like, really intense. There's quite a few really good ones. Yeah, I think Uh, think there's a few things going on. Number one, this is mid-60s. So there's this transition in these kind of movies from a swashbuckling-type style into sort of the stylized martial arts that we're familiar with that you sort of see over the course of the 70s and the 80s and 90s. And also, King Hu, he has his own unique sort of stamp that he puts on these films i mean obviously there's you know uh action choreographers and they're they're kind of um you know uh, i think the the action choreographer in this film film is uh han ying che but uh you know king who it's he almost has like a almost like a japanese style to how he does the fights or like a peking opera style like they're very rhythmic do you know what i mean and they're very uh they're not it's not like a endless exchange of of sword blows in most of the fights it's sort of like you see the people like footwork is very important in the in these fight sequences and cheng pepe used to be a dancer and you can kind of see him making very good use of that in this movie and and then the the the, the movements of the characters you sort of they're sort of accentuated by this sword sword exchange do you know what i mean but it's not like a it's not like some of the later 70s movies where it's just this constant exchange of sword blows and and stuff so it's kind of got just a i don't know it's like it's it's weird because it to me come drink with me is gritty like you said but it's also really stylistic it's it's like it's got like a a dance like quality to it um like like there's the scene uh in the temple in the courtyard when she's fighting and she's fighting with the two daggers and her arms just flow like a dance it's a very dance like motion the way that she slices through these men um, you know, there's a lot of sequences like that. Uh, you know, I believe the later sequences in the movie, like the scene where 
like the big battle at the end, I'm pretty sure King Hu didn't direct that. I'm not a hundred percent sure at what point he jumped off. Uh, I've just heard that 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 he was fired or that he left and that he was replaced towards the end. I don't know for sure, uh, so I'm not sure if the the scene I'm about to talk to is directed by King Hu or not. But the the scene where Cheng Pei Pei is fighting with a proper sword and mm. she sort of stabs the guy and like spins around and then stabs the guy in reverse. Do you know what I mean? Like scenes like yeah. that, they, they're, they're so graceful. Um, so yeah, so I mean, I, 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 I would agree with, with much of you said. That's just sort of my, uh, my additional commentary on it. Um, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, like that's you, why about, you're on the podcast, right? What, what was that? <laughs> that's why you're on the podcast, right? Oh. You, got, you got smart stuff to say. Well, this, well, I don't know if it's smart, but I've seen this movie a lot. Like this is a movie I've seen so many times. Um, and, and I, I just think it's a great film. Now I had a question for you. Yeah. Uh, what did you think of that musical sequence, uh, where the, where the, um, where drunken cat was singing in the inn to, to golden, golden swallow? Well, it, uh, it stood out for me for a couple of reasons. One of which was in no way intended by the original creators of the film, which is it was in the original language. The, the version I saw was dubbed yeah. and that alone was actually like clearly sung and voiced by the original actor in the original language. Uh, so that stood out to me immediately. I was like, oh, they're actually singing. Okay. So uh, that that certainly wasn't intended by the creators of the film, but it did actually give it kind of a memorableness. Um, as far as in the context of the film, it uh, it was nowhere near as jarring as the Kung Fu rap <laughs> that's a, that we saw last time. This case, I think it uh, it flowed a little bit because it was it, it's something that was that could reasonably happen within the context of the film. The kids are singing, basically begging to get some food, and I, I don't know. Uh, it was it was beautiful. Like it was really nice to to actually hear some singing in the film. It didn't it wasn't tonally dissonant, which is a big deal. If it if it really stuck out like something a little more choreographed, it would have been I think atonal, and that would have detracted from it. As it stood, it felt really natural because, remember, the, there was a broader scene around that that contained it. And so there was this kind of continuous flow between the singing because they stop a few times and have yeah. little character moments and then resume singing. And we're taught about the characters in the scene. And it's in the right place where it needs to be in the movie. It teaches about a drunken cat. So I liked it. I thought it was it was well-directed. And it was something that, again, it's, it's hard to put a straight-up full song with like several, like this is like a dozen kids singing this thing in a movie and make it feel like it has a total consistency, but they really pulled it off. So, did, did you um, did you understand the significance of that scene? Um, clearly not, but I'm sure you'll tell me all about it. So, so the reason <laughs> I'm bringing that scene up is partly as a critique of Amazon Prime. Um, yeah. So, so number one, this movie really shouldn't be in the dub version. The dub version, the dubs are terrible. I've decided the dubs really? are just I, I thought the dubs are really good. So you like the dubs? To... Really? No, no, go ahead. I'm, yeah. I'm curious. You like the dubs? I, I did like the dubs because it seemed like they, they hired actors who knew, like understood the characters they were, they were dubbing for. And like they brought, they mixed the sound really well. So it seemed really natural. There are a few glaring moments, but for the most part, like they didn't take me out of it anywhere near like the web of death dubs did, okay, which were okay. like almost cartoonish. That's interesting. No, so maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I've just seen it so much in the with the subs that I find it jarring to watch it with the dubs. But here's oh, where my real critique is. What I really don't like is when it switches to the to the the Chinese song and they're singing in Chinese. They don't provide you with any subtitles. 
Do you know what I mean? No, now, not at all. Now, I knew what they were saying. Would you be surprised if I told you that was a very pivotal scene? I mean, it, it felt pivotal, but like again, I didn't have any information about what the the lyrics were. So, so, so basically, he's giving her clues about where these bandits are over the course of that whole song. Oh, so, that's why she references that later. Yeah, that's Isn't why she sings scene? the song. So, oh my God. Okay, yeah, that's a that's a pretty glaring critique. Jesus, so I'm going to recite the lyrics that. for you, Joel. And, okay. And I'll, now they're a little long, so I hope you'll forgive me for the length, and I hope the the listeners will forgive me. Our listeners so, are in for a treat yeah, now. Yeah. So, uh, so, so, so here's song one because I actually put it up on the blog for this reason for people that are like I'm going to put a link in the description below. You can go to the blog, and I did this back in 2015, so it was a while ago. Um, but I I put the jeez, uh, was it really that long ago? Oh my god. So so anyways, I I. I I, I have the lyrics up there just so that people can understand it if they see it on Prime because it's very important to the plot. So song one is Green Bamboo Pole, which you know is significant after you've seen the whole movie, right? Uh, thin and long, living the world from south to north, standing a severe rainstorm and burning under the sun, going to beg door to door, meet the world, looking th- through the ways of the world, the fickleness of human relationships, High post and high salary are not one at all. The achievement, wealth, and honor are up to you. All one's life is only for miles away long. Regardless, the treasure or broom corn, I'm not sure what broom corn really is. Uh, forget them all if I have a drink. Whatever heartbroken bur- things in the, in the world, Gord stands alone, happy, drunk, lightly. And that's that Gord stands alone, happy, drunk, lightly, if I recall. That's when he sort of is kind of like... You know, it sort of like looks like he's ruminating in those final moments of the song. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's that. So then in song two, this is where he starts feeding her clues. When she comes down and she thanks him and all that stuff. It says, uh, on the high mountain, there is an evil gang. They are the mobsters. Grab under the sky and hide it underneath. Do not want gold. Do not want silver. Just want the crown to be returned to the folks. And the capital of governor gives up the wealth. The, the translation's a little murky. I apologize. Uh, uh, swallow flies singly to the hill height. And, uh, and then there's um, uh, the remaining verse after she specifically asks him for directions. Uh, one point and one across long. One is cast aside to Nanyang. One rock is to one rock. The sun is to the moon. And so I, I, I think in the subs... On my DVD, the translation's a little bit different, but basically he tells her where the where the temple is. Yeah, because there's no connective tissue between those two at all, unless you can hear and understand what he's singing. Wow, that's that's a gigantic oversight. Yeah. Because so, the next scene, she's at the temple, and she's like, I was given clues to where you are. And I was like, well, I must have missed something. Moving on. That, that's why I'm so furious that they don't put the subtitles for that song, because it totally... It undermines that whole scene not having that there, and and it's on every other version I've ever seen. So I don't know why the one on Prime doesn't have it. Um, so so yeah so so just to, you know may you know I I number one I really like the musical scene because I think that's a great way to feed clues to the hero about the location of the gang. But number two, it just makes so little sense when you don't have that information. So um, so yes, yeah, so. <laughs> really. So I guess getting into some other things that we can talk about. Let's talk about the gang. Let's talk about Jade Face Tiger and Smiling Tiger and 
and uh and 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 sort of the situation of this gang overtaking this temple that that you find out they're actually like technically part of the hierarchy of the temple in a way because their leader is that abbot um what did, what did you think oh go ahead there's a lot of like unexpected little connections like that in this movie because it's got a very tight casting like there's not a lot of characters in the movie but like each one of the characters gets really well explored and is a very important, impactful place in the story. So whatever you, uh, whatever you get later in the movie and like that, that little nugget comes out where it turns out, Oh, actually they have, they have some legitimate claim to being there kind of. Yeah. Um, it's, know, there's, there's a lot of stuff like that. That's, that's really fun in this movie. I don't know if I'd call it some kind of like brilliant master stroke of writing, but it certainly is clever and it, it's, it's fun to kind of like appreciate it and draw the connections as you're watching. Uh, as far as the gang themselves, oh my god, I loved them. They were so much fun. Smiling Tiger, especially, like comes right out, and he's just yeah. this this grinning maniac of a character um, that is he's 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 mean and he's like really smug and he's a really good fighter. And then he turns kind of cowardly, and there's like a lot to appreciate about him. And uh, and Jade Face Tiger is, is this wonderful kind of insidiousness to him. And they, they do his makeup where they make him look really pale, which makes him look super creepy. It's yeah. really, really well done makeup. And the guy carries it off with this incredible, like, air of, like, superiority. And I it's just, they're, they're both really, really neat characters. Really, the whole gang is, is fun. Um, if I had to critique it, I would say the Abbot's kind of a weak point. Because the script and all the writing, all the other characters built him up a lot. Yeah. And he's sort of a letdown, ultimately. Not terrible. Like, it's not so much that I'm, like upset at the movie but like they build him up like he's darth vader and he turns out to be darth maul and it's not as good yeah i think that's a fair that's a fair point to make i think the i think the abbot isn't as um uh interesting as some of the underlings like smiling tiger is so so enjoyable to watch you know what i mean um you know just something about you know the the, like the, the 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 famous end scene the scene in the end you know that 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 scene alone with them is great, and the abbot's a little bit more chill. Do you know what I mean? The abbot, he's a little bit, uh, he's just kind of a bad guy. But there's not really anything. He's a no, bad there's not guy. Not a hook with him, powerful. right? Yeah, so he's he's a bad guy, and he's powerful, and there's no personality. Like he, he even has a scene where he should have been exhibiting just how cool he was, what was unique about him, where he's talking to a he's talking to a drunken cat. And Drunken Cat, the, the, the situation is Drunken Cat and the Abbot both have the same master. And Drunken Cat basically stole the magic weapon and ran away because he was scared that this Abbot was going to kill him. And now it's come to the point where Drunken Cat gets it. Okay, he's been found out. The Abbot's going to kill him and get the staff. Yeah. So this scene is interesting because they're standing there and just alone. And basically, Drunken Cat is relying on his like social capital and, and the, the laws of propriety to keep himself alive. And throughout the scene, he basically begs the guy to give him three days to set his affairs in order before he comes and kills him. And that could have been such a great scene to exhibit why that abbot was like this nasty, powerful, dangerous guy. But he never gets off the ground. The the, The character doesn't ever like get his wings. There's no really interesting dialogue. There's nothing that demonstrates how dangerous and cunning he is. The the actor is really flat. Like there's there's really just nothing. Anywhere near the scale of like the Smiling Tiger or Jade Face Tiger, who have so much presence. So maybe it's not just the contrast. He really just doesn't sell it. Well, and I think too, like like both 
uh, Smiling Tiger and Jade Face Tiger, when they fight, their personalities really come through. Like Jade Face Tiger is kind of removing articles of clothing from her when he's fighting. And he's very sort of, you know, like there's a lecherous quality to him. And Smiling Tiger is just the, the picture of politeness the entire time that he's trying to kill you. And it's a little bit unnerving because he seems so happy and polite, but, you know, but he just issued a command to have you killed. Um, you know, so the Abbot's, uh, I, I think the intent with the Abbot was to make him look more solid, like an iron type character. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you know, it. like, cause he's immune to the weapons and all that stuff. Uh, and he can break the swords with just his fingertips. But, uh, but yeah, I think, I think it is a little bit, it's missing a little bit of something there. Uh, you know, what, one of the things that's kind of interesting about the gang, too, that we should probably not forget is there's a scene where they actually kill a kid. Um, oh, that scene was awesome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, because it, it's so gut-wrenching. Like, that little kid actor. Oh, man. Yeah, go tell them all about it. That scene was great. So so there's a scene in the movie where the the, the monk of the temple is talking, or the one of the abbots, I think, of the temple is asking the gang to just please kind of be peaceful. Don't cause trouble here. And it becomes very clear over the course of the scene that the gang is in total control of this temple pretty much. Um, one of the junior monks who, I don't know, what is he like 10 or 12 or something? Yeah, he couldn't have been much, much older than 10. This guy this is a kid and yeah. they actually cast him as a kid. And he, he's spying on them. And so uh, Jade Face Tiger, I believe, throws a poison needle through the paper wall and it hits the kid in the eye and the kid starts yeah. screaming and the abbot's like, oh, my God, like, he's just, he just, you know, he's like, oh, it's just, you know, just one of the junior monks. And the, the abbot says, you know, we'll give them the antidote. And so the jade-faced tiger smiles and says, yep, give him the antidote. And the antidote is a sword to the, you know, the, to the belly, oh, yeah. presumably. And, um, like, the whole time that exchange is going on, like, this kid is screaming his head off because there's a needle in his eye. Like, there's, like, blood running out of his yeah. face. It's in the dark, in the rain. It is a brutal that, scene. That scene is very important. That scene is where, because the monk sort of is the embodiment of the uprighteous, sort of the upright but weak, who are being exploited by the villainous martial experts of the martial world, right? Like, like he, like you can just see it. He just looks feeble in this scene, and he's completely helpless to protect this child. And these guys are just the embodiment of, you know evil that's empowered by martial arts right they can do whatever they want you know they kill the kid they don't care do you know what I mean and so that whole scene just sort of to me lays out you know what golden swallow is fighting against do you know what I mean it's it's so I think the scene is really important for that reason because otherwise when golden swallow is trying to be righteous and saying you know well I'm going to arrest you and I'm going to take you back but I'll be lenient if you come with me it, it it seems a little bit more like uh it, it's impersonal she yeah. seems high bound, you know yeah that scene i think you're right that scene's critical because it drives home the human element that she's really fighting to protect mm. and her and drunken cat have that in common she i think she is a little bit uptight about it and a little more like kind of classical about her approach to it. like she's got more of like a legalist kind of element yeah but he's doing it very much more from the heart like it, it's yeah. not so much about I mean, clearly it's not about abiding by the rules of society to a guy called Drunk Cat. Um, but they both have that in common, where they're they're both fighting really wretched villains. Yeah. That's that's the only scene that really demonstrates how evil they are. So otherwise, they're somewhat sympathetic. 
Now, what did you think of the end scene? Because that is like a real famous scene in this movie. Um, like the whole sequence where the rocks fall and everything after that, or like well, just the very climactic battle. No, the end scene where um, where she's sitting at the table and one by one they kind of have little mini confrontations with her and it escalates into swordplay. Oh, oh, end scene, not yeah. it as in yeah. I'm sorry, in in I is a place where they were staying. Oh, okay, I'm with you. I loved that scene. Like that's the scene where I started paying attention to the movie really strongly because it's again it's sort of paced like a tarantino scene where you know something's gonna happen because everyone like the the bad guys keep kind of like nodding to this entire inn full of their goons yeah. everyone knows the golden swallow is there like they all get that you know there's the martial hero we've got to do something about this because in, the, in, the, in the previous scene they set up like okay we've got we've got our hostage we're gonna get our leader back you know everything's gonna go according to plan this is great. And then someone's like, well, yeah, unless Golden Swallow shows up, then we were going to get our asses kicked because Golden Swallow always ruins our plans, that troublesome hero. And in the next scene, there's Golden Swallow in the end, surrounded by goons. And it doesn't get to it right away. Like you said, it has this wonderful, like, very deliberate, suspenseful pacing that's really great to watch. So I loved it. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's very King Who. He just has this real sort of staggered pacing to everything that, it just, it just, it's like you said, it sort of heightens the suspense. It, it works wonderfully. But that scene, not only is it, you know, a great scene and the, the sort of exchanges are creative and fun, but the way it's shot is so, so marvelous. Like, the, just like the, the, the camera work in this movie, especially in the beginning, is so, so amazing. And Dragon Inn is kind of an expansion of the end scene from this movie. Like, his. I think it's his next film. I'm pretty sure. I don't have the chronology in front of me, but he does a film called Dragon Inn, and that's set completely at an inn. Do you know what I mean? Um, and and it really takes like like it takes that whole scene and kind of almost makes a whole movie out of it. Wow. Yeah. And there's another there's another film that's another inn movie by him called The Fatal Econ, which is my favorite. And that's you see, a lot of times. I think people will call it the in trilogy because he's got like three movies that are set in ins. Um, I I highly recommend all three, but uh, but yeah, here it's 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 kind of more condensed, so you don't have to watch a whole movie to enjoy. It. You just get you know you get that that it, that really classic in scene just at the beginning of the film. Uh, what what did you think of King Who in general? Like, did you have any impressions based off this movie? As far as the cinematography and the the character direction and that kind of thing, yeah. Well, first of all, like this movie, with only a few exceptions, is enormously well cast. Uh, it's it's well cast. The script is really tight. Uh, that, aside from that one glaring oversight from the translation in Amazon Prime, it, I mean every every question you have is answered. It's very like the scope is small and intimate, but still manages to broaden out in this really nice. Kind of like it, kind of creeps the the scope does as you watch the movie, so that's neat. Uh, cinematography wise, there's a lot of really beautiful shots in this movie, yeah. and I don't I don't usually call like and there are a few beautiful shots uh, in in like pretty much every movie you've recommended to me, but this one it really stood out to me because uh, it's not just it's not merely like the set design or where they're shooting. It's also like the angles and and some of the cuts that that uh, are chosen or or. They're, they make it more of a visual treat than I'm used to, so I really like that. Uh, I, I really loved the direction of all the characters. I think the actors had a really good chemistry, which is wonderful. And with a with a cast this small, 
like it's important to have that kind of chemistry between all of your characters. So I don't know if I'd call him necessarily like a character director or an actor director, but like I get that impression from him pretty strongly with this movie. Again, with the very glaring exception of the Abbot, who is mediocre, not bad, but his mediocrity is unfortunately heightened by his importance in the movie and his contrast with the otherwise really great casting. What, and, and again, I, I really want to expose you to more King Who movies because I think you'll see this pattern that I'm about to talk about. At one point, I'd like us to do his Painted Skin film, which I think is excellent. And um, and also maybe either Fatally Khan or A Touch of Zen. But regardless, I always feel like one thing that King Who does that's really notable, and, and you kind of see this with a lot of movies from this part of the world, but you really see it with King Who, he shoots a lot of the reaction shots like a silent film. Do you know what I mean? The way that the characters react to things, they sort of they sort of lean back and you get like their expression based on what just happened. And it just seems like the kind of stuff that you always see in silent films. And so I feel like there's a silent film influence on on King Ho. I don't know if you got that vibe or not. I know you you know, it's the only one of his movies you've seen, but Oh, I'd have to watch it again with an eye for it because, like, I'm I'm usually a really big fan of silent films. Like, um, I like Metropolis quite a bit. I usually watch okay. that a couple of times a year. So, I don't know. Yeah, I used to be into the Phantom of the Opera when I was a kid. That was my big uh, that Nosferatu. I used to love watching those. Oh my god! I actually got to watch that one recently. Yeah, that's that's a creepy one. That and the uh, the Cabinet of Doctor Caligari is what it's called. Watch that one too. That's really good. I so not to not to go on a side trek here, but. I saw Nosferatu in a church as a kid, and it scared the Christ out of me. It scared me, like that that vampire, the vampire Nosferatu, yeah, kind of creepy, off. creepy as hell, creepy as hell, and 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 you can imagine in like the in the setting of a church on like a like on like a cam- like an actual camera, like somebody had like a um oh, like like an a actual projection. projector type thing that they were of, of it they were playing. It was because you know we didn't have. I think this was either either before no it wasn't before VHS but you I don't think Nosferatu was on VHS at this point and VHS tapes were so expensive at that time do you know what I mean this was not when like you know everybody had a VHS player um so yeah so uh but I I feel like there is that silent movie influence and I think you really see it in the character reactions um but you also see it in the atmospherics like if you watch painted skin with me You'll see there's like a real classic silent uh, horror type atmosphere to the movie, even though it has sound. Um, so, but yeah, I, I think I think it's a little difficult to talk about King Who in general because again, this is your only King Who movie. But I think yeah, down the road, maybe if we see some more, I'm sure you'll have some thoughts. Um, well, the, it it is different. Like visually, it's very different from a lot of the other Shaw Brothers movies we've watched. Like I don't think there's any Shaw Brothers movie that really. I don't know. Like, I almost want to say it's got like a kind of a French element to it because again, like a lot of the the cuts and angles are something that you'd see like around that around that era of the sixties and seventies in French cinema a lot. Yeah, it's got and, it's got Kurosawa in it too. I think it's got like a little bit of that. Um, I I I feel like so my understanding is he was let go during or shortly after this movie, but I think he was under he actually was supposed to do more movies, and so he ends up going to Taiwan and making movies there instead. Uh, and unfortunately, he's not able to work with Cheng Pei in those films, even though she was supposed to star in Dragon Inn. That was a movie that she was supposed to be featured in. Um, 
I often wonder, like, what would Shaw Brothers films have looked like in the 70s if King Who had stayed on? Because it really would have rounded out the styles. Do you know what I mean? Because uh, you have, you know, there, there are a number of, you know, Choi Yuen, uh, Cheng Che, uh, you know, La Kar Lung. There are all these great directors who all have this distinct style. But I don't think you get any more of a contrast between King Hu and Cheng Che. If you, if you, you know, and, 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 it's, and Cheng Che actually directs the sequel to uh come drink with me um and so i think when you and i watch that movie we'll have a real interesting discussion about oh what would what would have happened if king who had directed this film do you know what i mean it would, it would have been a very different movie and, and you'll see why as soon as we watch it and golden swallow was a great film so that's the real difficulty of the discussion because on the one hand it would be very interesting to see what would happen if king who would stay with shaw brothers on the other hand even though there's that, you know, sort of longing to have King Hu direct Golden Swallow or something, in the hands of Chang Che, it still ends up being this great movie, even though it kind of relegates Golden Swallow herself to a side character role. Um, but again, we'll, we'll talk about that when we get to it. But speaking of Golden Swallow, what, what was your perception of Chang Pei Pei? Because I, I don't know if we've, we've seen any Chang Pei Pei movies together so far, have we? I don't know. I like she. She was really good. I, I can't. It's hard for me to recognize actors and actresses along because, like, I'm from the Midwest, so like the the ethnic divide there is big enough where I'm like, oh, is, is that that guy or is that the other one guy? Sometimes, like, there's some like uh, the guy that was in Brave Archer, obviously, is really iconic and easy to recognize. But like, as far as uh, the female leads, it's it's tough for me to parse them, especially by name. So if if we have seen something else with her in it. Um, then I I don't recognize her. In this one, she was really good. I think she was a really good lead. Um, she had a lot of presence, which yeah, she's got she's got enormous presence. She's got very so so I really liked. I did a whole series of reviews of Cheng Pei Pei movies in the blog. And, oh wow! And she's like, I just I just went through as many of them as I could. I think I, I think there were like two or three that I couldn't get my hands on, so I wasn't able to do them. Um, maybe if I. Maybe I should actually see if I can get my hands on those now because they might be possible. But uh, cycle. Yeah. well, I, I eventually the, the last one that I think I did was Jade Raksha, um, which was uh, uh, a really great movie. But it took me forever to get a, a copy of it. And I ended up getting it on VCD. But I think she's got tremendous presence. She has a real grace of movement, but she also has athleticism, which you don't see as much in this movie because this is like her first real martial arts movie, I think. But as she as she progresses as an actor in each of these films, she just gets better and better and better at the athleticism. Do you know what I mean? Like you can and and she's she's kind of tall, I think. I don't know her exact height, but she strikes me as being somewhat tall, and that it gives her a little bit more power in her movements. Do you know what I mean? Like that. Yeah. There's a, there's and a, she's, and there's she used a to be a dancer. Power. Yeah, I get that a lot. Like, because you have to you have to judge a martial arts actor or actress in this case by like their physical presence and their movements. And you're right. There's a, a, a power to the way she moves and the way she strikes that like really comes across on the screen. Like it feels like they're really getting their asses headed to them. Yeah, yeah. And she's got that star power. Like just like with, like with her eyes, she can kind of like she gives those expressions, which is I think the big tell. If you see. If you see this movie and you've seen Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, that's the point when she's making those facial expressions that I think 
people start to say, oh, Jade Fox. Do you know what I mean? That's oh, she, the, is she Jade Fox? She was Jade Fox from Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Oh, well, I've seen that. Man, she was really good in that. Yeah, no, and that it, it's uh, it, it, the first time I saw Come Drink With Me was after I had seen Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And I remember watching it and being like, wait a second, that face looks so familiar. That expression looks so familiar. And then it kind of slowly dawned on me. And then I looked it up and it was like, wow, it's the same lady. And so, so since I saw Crouching Tiger. Yeah, and this is a long time before Crouching Tiger came out. This is like what? Like his 70, 80, 90. It's like 30, over 30 years before Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. It's a while. Yeah. And she never so, lost that sense of like power in her movements ever because Jane Fox looked like a real badass too. Well, I think, again, I think it goes down to being a dancer. I think, you know, like people that have that kind of a background, they don't, like they have the discipline. Do you know what I mean? They have like the appreciation and they understand their body. And uh, like I noticed that in, in um, when, I, when I used to train in martial arts, anytime we got a dancer, like somebody who had a dancing background at the school, they used to, they used to, uh, it just felt like it took like half the effort to train them. Do you know what I mean? Because mm. they, because they could under, same thing with skateboarders or any, any type of person who's used to like studying physical movement in some way and trying to execute, you know, different things with their body. I feel like they can make really great action stars. Do you know what I mean? So mm. the dancing background, I think really, you know, came through here. And I think it's particularly noticeable in her footwork. I think if you, if you watch a Chang Pei Pei movie, you should always watch her footwork because I think that's where she really is. That, that's like the difference between her and the other actors. A lot of the time, in my opinion, is the footwork. Um, but we'll do more Chang Pei Pei. There's Lady Hermit, which I don't think you've seen, right? No. Okay. Lady Hermit. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of another. Uh, there, there are a ton. Uh, did you did you see the Shadow Whip? No, I haven't seen that one. I'm I'm really new to this stuff. Okay. Still. No, I, I just can't remember which ones I've shown you. That's why I'm asking. <laughs> um, so the Shadow Whip would be another good one, and uh, I mean Dragon Swamp is great, but I don't think we can get our hands on it. Um, Jade Rocks is great. All the ones I've seen. So. Huh? But but we'll do more Chang Pei Pei because I think that you will greatly appreciate Chang Pei Pei if you see her career over time. You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah. So, uh, you know, again, I, I think she's marvelous in this movie. And, I, I, you know, I, and, and, and I think that uh, I think that uh, th- this is this is one of these films that I just think everybody should go check out. I always like to be a little cautious when I suggest it to people, though, because I have recommended it to people in the past. And then I've heard from them that. You know, things like, oh, I wasn't expecting it to be so old-fashioned. Do you know what I mean? So... I don't know. Because um, I'm contrasting it with the with the other Shaw Bros. Brothers stuff that you've shown me. And, like, the contrast is so good that it, it made me keep watching it. Because mm. it's... I, I don't... I don't know. It doesn't feel old-fashioned to me. It feels kind of raw. Mm. Like, there's not, like I said, there's not a lot of flash to it. And, I don't know, that, that added to the whole the whole tone of the movie for me so much. Yeah. So... I mean, I think, I think the scene that really make like the the scene that always sticks out in my head is the scene when she walks into the temple and the camera's panning do you know what i mean uh, that that see you see that scene you're like oh this is a different kind of movie like this is not like this is like i like every once in a while you see that in other films but like that that something about that scene is so different and and uh and yeah it's, it's just got a, it's got a really clear style to it and and again if we watch more king who movies that style really comes out more and more um, to the to the to the point that some of the films are like three hours long and <laughs> require quite a, quite an investment of time and energy to watch. But 
well worth the effort, in my opinion. Um, well, it's kind of a visual banquet, which is something that, like, I don't want to, I, I don't want to like give the impression that other Shaw Brothers films or other other wushu films that we've seen aren't visually arresting. But this one has, like you said, it has that kind of silent movie focus yeah, on it, the visuals that it, it's. You, you don't, don't see all that. You know who the director is? I would compare it to Kubrick. It's a Kubrick type. Of yeah. Movie. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, there's a it's lot like, of Kubrick kind of shots in this one. It's like this is a painting. This isn't a movie. Do you know what I mean? And like, and and, and I swear to you, if you watch Come Drink with Me, freeze on virtually any shot, and most of them are just these great sort of compositions. Do you know what I mean? Like that's, yeah, there's a lot of composition to it. Yeah. And it, it's composition that doesn't detract from the action because it keep, makes certain that what you're like the the composition is such that it emphasizes not only the characters and the struggle but the movements and the outcome because like at the the very last scene where they're throwing magical wind attacks at each other, I'm not really sure what's going on there. That's that's like, like a chi chi energy. That's supposed to be chi energy. Is is that supposed yeah. to be like a chi wave? Okay, yeah. I get you. So like. That's just Those an old-timey effect they, for it. That was they, they had some kind of hose, I think, that just shot out, like, air or water or something, or steam. That's, it, that's, it looks... Well, it, it looks really good, in, in my estimation. It, it looks unusual, but, like, the way it's shot, like, it's got the sort of broadness to it that makes it almost languid without removing any of the impact. So I wanted to I wanted to comment on that. Yeah, because, I mean, this is a movie that's clearly and firmly in Musha. You got, like, the... You got, like, the chi. You got... The lightness kung fu. You got all that stuff. Um, oh, one other scene I wanted to ask you about. The poison sucking scene. Did you have any thoughts on that scene? I, it seemed a little boilerplate in my estimation. Okay, How, like, boilerplate man, in what way? Well, like, you see that scene in Wuxia a lot, where it's like, oh, we've got to do something, you've been poisoned, let's suck the poison out, and, and surrounding that is the relationship that the characters have with each other. Yeah. So, like, it's not that it wasn't good. It's just that, like, this is one of those scenes, like the shootout scene in a western, where like you kind of expect to see this in a Wuxia movie. Did, but did yeah. you think that that scene was like, had a little bit more of a sexual undertone to it than those scenes normally do? At least in the in the earlier movies. Obviously, in later movies, I think you see the sexual undertone more. But I mean, like, clearly that was an element. I I don't know, like. I felt like it was more of a romance and intimacy thing because Golden Swallow is very rigid as a character yeah. and there's a clear chemistry. And again, this goes back to just how well this movie is cast and acted. Uh, there's a clear chemistry be between her and Drunken Cat. And that's the, that, that's like that pivotal scene where she's kind of accepting some degree of that intimacy and he's offering some degree of that. And so, yeah, there's a pretty clear sexual undertone to that. I wouldn't say it's overwhelming, but I mean, it's certainly present. Yeah, I, th I think the more I see the movie, the more that scene sticks out at me. It seems a little <laughs> bit more obvious. I would encourage you to watch it again and see if it, if you change your mind a little bit, because uh, I, I feel like there's a lot more. Like there, I feel like there's more to that relationship. Uh, the more I see this movie, um, yeah, I, I, I didn't. The okay. first time watching it, I didn't see like because they don't go much further into the intimacy after that scene. No, and like. The, the relationship's changed, but we don't really see it as the audience. That's not what the movie's exploring. No, and they, and they develop more of a they get more of a master student relationship, really. After yeah, that scene, yeah. um, and and I'm and I and I, and I kind of wonder because I know in Golden Swallow that she talks about her master, and I'm curious if that's the master she's talking about. We'll we'll have that discussion when we get to Golden Swallow. Um, 
But in the meantime, which we're going to get to, we're going to have to do Golden Swallow now that we've done this one. Um, so in terms of gaming, though, what what are your thoughts uh, with Come Drink With Me? How would you how would you gamify this? Is it gameable? Is it not gameable? Is it does it does it does it you know is it something that you'd recommend to gamers trying to run a Wuxia campaign? I would definitely recommend this if you're going to run a Wuxia campaign uh, because all the classic Wuxia elements are there. There's a, a powerful political backing to the whole thing. The, the situation is very political. Uh, the the lines of uh, discrimination are, are very well drawn. Like you, you clearly have bad guy bandits and good guy like legal monks and things like that. Um, the the familial kind of relationships that are in this movie are very wuxia. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, the the key what comes into like the fourth act like key uh, conflict is between a master and student, and yeah. their relationship is very particular to the genre. Um, it, that's like, yeah. If you were gonna do a wuxia campaign, this would be on my recommended list. I'd be like, you, you need to watch this to kind of get how people interact and some of the social barriers they have to kind of dance around and some of the the ways that people are motivated within the in the the wuxia underworld. Yeah. So, yeah, as far as gamifying it, like very specifically for the genre, oh, absolutely, go watch this movie. Um, as far as more broadly applicable gaming stuff, um, I like the hostage situation at the core of it. It's a simple situation with a whole lot of fallout and kind of like every every conflict is built around this this really simple premise of we're negotiating a hostage situation. And so the the real uh, the meat of it is the characters and how interesting they are and how they get involved and um, the the way it's paced I think is important too because like it's not it's not really direct but it seems like it's going to be yeah. like because Golden Swallow gets into it from the first scene as does Drunken Cat he just kind of staggers in in that end scene and almost the whole gang is present and they have a big knockdown fight. And then they kind of like separate for a little while, yep. and then there's a little bit of build up, and then they go, and then she goes to the temple, and again, drunk cat follows her, and there's another giant drag down fight with almost the entire game, and they separate for a while, and they take a little while, and then some more information comes out, and then the abbot shows up, and then shit gets real. Then there's the 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 scene with the ambush, uh, where they throw the rocks at the caravan, another huge like boss battle thing, and they separate again, and they go to the final scene, and like. Pacing it like that, like that's how I feel like a game should be paced, where there should be build up, really good, significant action, especially in a kung fu game. Like you really want the action scenes to take time at the table and to be strategically interesting and interesting character wise. Like there should be development in the action scenes, and then you need to be able to kind of break them off and to have people kind of go back to their camps because they really do. Like both factions lick their wounds a lot in this one. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. Uh... I think that's important in games. I made my first um, my first uh, third edition Wuxia campaign. I well, I don't. It depends on how you define Wuxia because I did run some more earlier. But my first real strict like this is definitely firmly in Wuxia campaign was based on Come Drink with Me for third edition, and uh, and it was it was uh, it was so easy to sort of take this plot line of the bandits sort of you know operating out of this temple and like you said like the the hostage situation all that it's just like a it's just a perfect adventure like all you have to do is replace golden swallow with player characters and you have the all of the foundation of a non-linear adventure do you know what i mean because you know 
you don't know what approach the players are going to take to get to the temple. So, you know, you just kind of drop them into the situation. And and it uh, it's it's because really it's sort of like you said, it doesn't have many characters and it's a very local adventure or not very local adventure, very local movie. But the cool thing about that is I have a real clear image in my head of the landscape of this film. Do you know what I mean? I know, you know, uh, Drunken Cat lives over here and the inn is over here in this town and the temple is over here. And it's it's very easy to sort of picture that as a tiny map for an adventure in my head. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so, tight, not too, much, not too much to design there. And like, because, and you only need a few, you, you only need a few things. You need the inn, so, because you got to be able to fight over the inn. And it's only, it seems like a one floor in. Like, it's not super complicated. Yeah. Well, it's um, a two floor in, but the... Yeah, because there was the the set oh, of stairs right, right. go up, and there's the 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 railing with the the walkway and the rooms, um, uh, which which you know, again, I mean, I say this all the time, but like inns are, you know, they're 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 more prevalent in this genre than in the fantasy genre, just like you know, a lot of other things. Um, I usually see taverns in the fantasy genre, and you usually, usually see inns in these. Well, I'm using tavern and in fairly interchangeably. This, uh, in this, in this, you I mean, even even considering that, like, if you look at the Lord of the Rings, there was exactly what one tavern scene in the whole thing. Well, in Bree, right? There was the tavern. Yeah, there was Bree, and I can't think of anything else. Uh, and then they like go to Elrond's house, and everything else is like dungeon, battlefield, different battlefield. Like, there's no more, there's no more taverns. Like yeah, in a movie, uh, in Musha, though, all the time. You go from a tavern to a tavern sometimes. I mean, drinking is a really big part of the sort of martial world. Do you know what I mean? It's like a it's it's often how characters express or demonstrate their powers by how much they can drink. So, uh, you know, and 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 again, it's it's just it's part of the it's part of the Zhang Hu. It's the part of the landscape of the Zhang Hu. These inns and these taverns and these tea houses and so. Um, is, they're like they they do a lot with with the setting because there's a lot of different like social strata and there's also a lot of different ritual involved in like the etiquette of eating mm-hmm. and so how characters interact with the etiquette and with the different social classes and expectations all of that stuff is important and tells you about them and a lot of that you can just put right inside of an inn you know no and again with this movie you, you definitely see that um, so. So yeah, I mean, and I think also the other good thing about this one is the char- you 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 know what the bad guys want in yeah. in this adventure. It's very clear, and so that's always handy because player characters like to come up with inventive solutions, and inventive solutions are harder to adjudicate as a GM if you don't know what the NPCs want or what the bad guys want. And if you do, then you can react better to whatever kind of plans the players come up with even if it's like trying to cut a deal do you know what i mean um and and here we see there's sort of a deal cut at the uh you know the like drunken cats maneuver seems like a classic player character type of thing to do it does um so so that's a question is drunken cat like is he a player character or is he an annoying npc because he does a lot of like plot dropping a lot of clue dropping that's not that's not player character behavior. That's NPC behavior. Yeah, I, I I think you're right. I think he's more of an NPC. But you could. But it depends on the the campaign because I've had campaigns where, when the part like you could say, well, no, he's he's a player character, and this is the the first adventure where the party is getting assembled. Do you know what I mean? And 
And so maybe the GM just said, okay, the, you're playing Drunken Cat. Why don't we say you have this information and when you meet Golden Swallow or whatever, you can, you know, do, you know, you can use that to your advantage to, to, uh, uh, sort of, you know, uh, connect with that character. But I, I don't know. I, I, I would say more of an NPC in my head. Um, I just want to make him two characters. I almost want to have like, like an NPC that is an old kind of like decrepit version of him. That's like an older master who's like got the stick and he has all the plot the plot hooks. But I want the dynamic younger drunken cat who still has all the baggage, but actually like participates in the adventure. Mm. So like I think I'd, I'd be able, I would break up the roles well, a little bit. Well, definitely, if we're just looking at it from a power level, drunken cat is more powerful than Golden Swallow, right? Like he's yeah. definitely higher level if if this is like D and D or something, um, and so I guess that that would have to put him in the NPC game. But again, you wouldn't that that wouldn't be how the adventure would end. You, you'd have well, instead of know, like, swallow, it would be a party of player characters. You could have it where like you have a character who's been getting played for a while, then you introduce a new player who's level one or like level like a lower level. And so that, that power gulp is significant but then closes as the campaign goes on. Like okay. that'd be fine. That could work. No, that could work. That's actually an interesting way to bring in lower level characters in a Wusha campaign. Do you know what I mean? Oh um, yeah. That could certainly work. I, I mean I've had that experience where I've had characters come in at lower level and that they often have to ingratiate themselves to the party you know what i mean to to, to <laughs> learn from them so, so yes yeah, so that, that makes some it, sense one of the things you get from wuxia too which isn't is a little harder in D because D D uh and a lot of people have been making this complaint about D recently is that it it doesn't really have like a society or a culture associated with it it really is kind of like rin fair fun fantasy time so in a lot of times, a lot of games, if you don't put a lot of thought into the culture of your campaign, if it's just like, oh, make a dwarf, whatever, you're just kind of doing a sort of faux Lord of the Rings thing. Yeah. It can be really difficult, like you were saying, for a lower level character to kind of ingratiate themselves to the party because they have this like mercenary outlook. Yeah. But in a Wuxia campaign, you know there's a culture that you can go back to. So Golden Swallow isn't as powerful as Drunken Cat, but she is important because she has a societal role and expectations tied up with her, and only she can do certain things. So there's a reason that Drunken Cat has to kind of like ingratiate himself and work with her, even though he's more powerful. He's not calling the shots in a societal perspective. And she's nothing to sneeze at. Like, as pupils go, she makes a great disciple. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, like she's taking on bandits all on her own. Um, oh yeah, she's whooping ass. Yeah, she's and, a really cool character. And she's the one character that the bandits say they're afraid of. So, um, so clearly she's a powerful figure. The the interesting thing about the sequel is that the character gets kind of like I said relegated to more of a side role, um, which is kind of odd when the movie is is named Golden Swallow, and that's incredibly disappointing. But you have to acknowledge that the character that they insert as really the main lead is amazing. Do you know what I mean? So it's like a, it's a weird thing where it's like, man, they should have had Cheng Pei Pei be the main character in this. But at the same time, it's such a well-executed film that it's, do you know what I'm saying? It's, 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 no, it's harder you. to critique. But, um, but, but, but the unfortunate effect is that the sequel to Come Drink With Me doesn't really feel like a proper sequel to Come Drink With Me. Um, oh, it's a great sorry. movie in its own right, but it just doesn't feel like it does justice to the character. Um, it doesn't have the same kind of connection like with Brave Archer 1 2. Well, you know what it is? It's, um, I mean, Chang Che, his whole thing is he's into, 
um, you know, what do they call it? Hard masculinity. Like he's into that sort of is the the the, the Yang Kang movies. You know, they're 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 all. Uh, he he likes to focus on uh, you know male martial heroes, and he doesn't really take female martial heroes quite as seriously as the male martial heroes. And so he directed Golden Swallow, and so it kind of comes through in some of the, you know, like even even down to how Cheng Pei is costumed is different in that one. You'll you'll see, you'll you'll immediately see it. Like the first scene, you'll be like, "Well, yeah, this this definitely is different." Um, and and we'll talk about it at that time. But uh, but yeah, so so yeah, I I think, I mean, I think you're right. I think I think D uh, D especially as it's generally played does have more of a Ren fair quality to it. I think that's fine. Do you know what I mean? I think, I think just like wuxia campaigns kind of come off as like, you know, martial arts movies. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's not, it's often, it's not, not built on deep understanding of the history. It's often just built on the tropes of the movie genre, um, which, which I think is fine. Huh? This is true. Yes. Um, and those are two totally different things, you know? Uh, in fact, I think sometimes those are, at odds with each other. If you, I, I have a book and I can't remember the name of it. So it's, and I can't see it on my shelf at the moment, but I have a book that's an attempt to do sort of like a real serious history of Chinese martial arts, but from like a real, like critical historical point of view. And if you read that book, you get a lot of really great information about the history, but it undermines all of the tropes of the genre. Do you know what I mean? Like it just well, exactly. yeah because so, the tropes of the genre are the are more based on the fan fantastic mythological yeah. storytelling aspects of it. They're not based on historical martial arts, you know. Well, I mean they are to some extent, but it's more like inspired by them, and then yeah. everything else is imagination and wonder. And you want imagination and wonder in your games. If you get too hidebound about like making certain that every single element is exactly culturally correct, no one's gonna throw a fireball. Well, Who wants that? Well, and not just that. What I'm, what I'm also saying is not just about cultural correctness. It's about how sometimes we associate historical correctness with cultural correctness and authenticity. Oh, like the, the argument of the different kind of armor classes and how D and D armor isn't historically accurate and such. Well, well, stuff like that. But I think when you get into wuxia, the challenge that you'll run into is if you try to do the historically accurate thing, which I often do because I find the history very fascinating. It is interesting. Uh, you, you you can start running up into conflict with the tropes. Um, because the tropes sometimes are anachronistic or just romanticized or simplified. Do you know what I mean? Like they'll take something very complex, like how constables used to operate and they'll really simplify it and apply it to like every historical period just for the purpose of being simple and easy. Um, right. And that, that makes it easier to communicate in the game sense too, because if your player comes to you and says, I want to play a constable, you can be on the same page with them really easily. But the second you start bringing in like a lot more like period specific data, and you, you your expectations be to diverge enormously. What they wanted isn't what they're playing, and that's not a bad. That's not a good scene so, at all. That's that's awful. No, because I, I have this, and again, King Who used to do that. King Who is very interested in the historical details. So in this movie, you will see a lot of interesting historical details, but there are still tropes. Um, but this book is uh, Law and Order in the Sung, Dina, uh, Sung China, and it's quite big it's about what is it, yeah, 500 something pages i could probably give you a concussion with it and first place you go and it, it well and it's uh <laughs> but, but it's 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 a it's a really great resource for a game master on the you know i use it all the time because it 
it kind of you know i like the song period and i find it really does help me to create a believable sort of legal structure to the game and sort of like constables and all that at the same time uh that's a that's a lot of reading for for a gm to do and 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 i think that you could get most of what i get out of that book by just watching a movie like um killer constable or uh or even what was the film that we saw um human lanterns right you saw human lanterns with me right I did not see that one. I saw what was it? A what price honor or something like that? Oh yeah, okay. What yeah? What price honesty? Right? Was that it? Oh yeah, what price honesty? That's the one. That that would be so. That's a perfect example. That that movie you can watch, and I think you have a pretty good handle of how to now have constables in your game, and it's perfectly serviceable, and it's totally in keeping with the genre. And you didn't need to read that book that I just brought out. That would probably take you, you know, a good portion of your week to to finish. So. um Though I don't know, maybe you're a faster reader than I am. So Ugh, I, nope, uh, that's that's a lie. I neither read nor write fast. Okay. Um, you haven't seen Human Lanterns. That's very. We, we should we should definitely add that to the list of movies to watch. Um, hu- Human Lanterns is an amazing movie. It's 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 got it's it's. I, I really feel like we've done it for some reason. I can't. I, no. Totally didn't. No, I've never even heard of it. Okay. <laughs> Who are you confusing me with? I'm interested. No, no, you know what it is? I, well, me and Adam did it a while ago, and I think we might have done it on Wusha Weekend. As, I don't know if, I don't remember. But I thought that we had also talked about it. But it kind of combines, like, a slasher movie with Wusha. It's Ooh. A, it's sort of like the masked killer meets Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Do you know what I mean? It's that kind of a film. Or, cool. or the the mass killer meets what price honesty is probably a better example. I don't want to, you know, I don't want people expecting the wrong movie. Um, oh. it's really good. It's really good. I, I, uh, and and, and I, in fact, I have a I have an adventure in Strange Tales that's inspired by it. Um, but uh, but yeah. So so I don't know. I think uh, we're coming up on an hour here, and I have to go get my food, like I said. Um, but. Uh, but I think uh, I don't know. I I, I I think this is definitely as if you're gonna if you're gonna run Wusha campaigns to me, this is like an essential movie to get yeah. to watch. I, I very much concur with that. Like as a guy that has read a lot of Wushi RPGs at this point, um, if if I had to very concretely and quickly convey what Wusha was about as a genre, this would be one of my top picks. Yeah. Or like just watch this movie and just kind of soak it in because it'll give you it gives you a lot without really overwhelming you. So, uh, yeah, I, I give it a recommendation on that. I give it a recommendation just on cinematography. Like like you were saying, it's a beautiful movie. It, it, it's engrossing. There's really good character interaction, which I would also recommend it for. The action scenes are really good. Um, I, I don't know. Really good doesn't even do them justice. They're, they're intense. Like, you wouldn't expect that kind of intensity, but they really have a lot of drama to them. Yeah. And a lot oh, yeah. of uh, it's suspense, I think. They, they, they got a Hitchcock vibe. There's a lot of suspense to them. There's, a, there's suspense and there's a rhythm to them. There's like a there's a there's a flow and a rhythm, and it's sort of like the characters are circling each other, and then there's this flurry of action, and then the, and then there's a pause, and then you see yeah. what happened. You know, it's there like, is a very Japanesey kind of feel to that too, because that's that's a very Japanese way of doing things. Kurosawa did that all yeah. the time. No, so. yeah, that's that's why I mentioned that, and and it also kind of has sort of like a um like a Gulong vibe to it, like Gulong kind of reads that way. Um, you know, it's not, you know, Gulong is like, if you read Jin Yong, he'll have two chapters that are just a whole fight scene. 
And if you read, <laughs> if you read Gulong, fights are over in three sentences. Do you know what I mean? Um, so it, it's, 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 an interesting, it's an interesting style visually, I think. Um, and yeah, so, so again, we recommend it. It's available on Prime. Uh, check out, I have, a, uh, I have a post from July 28th, 2015 called Drunken Cat Sings. And that will give you the lyrics for the section of the movie that we were talking about, which I think will help you understand what is going on. Yeah, uh, uh, those are vital. Get the get his annotations if you're going to watch it, and whenever that scene comes on, just read along. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I did. I did it just as like this is like a uh, a much needed service for the community because I, I didn't want people watching the movie and not realizing how great that scene was. So. Yeah, it, it gives it an element that's totally uh, lacking, unfortunately, in the Amazon Prime version. That's tragic, too, because that's very clever. Yeah, I, I wonder if this movie's come out on Blu-ray. This this is a film that I really hope is out on Blu-ray at some point. Oh, it's not already. It's not? I don't know, but it would look beautiful on Blu-ray if it was. So. I Yeah, because I, I have it on DVD, which used to look great, but then I got a different TV, and now my DVDs don't look so wonderful. So, uh, <laughs> so. Uh, I would love to see it in Blu-ray if it's uh, if it if it's if it, but it does yeah it doesn't look like it's out in Blu-ray as far as I can tell. Um, drat. What was that? I said drat. Well, you know, it's just one of those things. Um, but yeah, so again, it's come drink with me. It's by King Hu. It stars Cheng Pei Pei, who's like 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 Joel was saying. She just has star power. She's got this presence that is just. You, you you can't Violet deny it when you see her, right? It's 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 uh, she she she's like a real star, and uh and and I guess I guess you know I might compare her to like someone like Kara Hoy or someone like 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 one of those type of people who just really radiates this star power, or or a Bruce Lee type or someone like that. Um, so so again, uh you know uh, go out watch it. It's 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 great. It's on Prime. You can get it on DVD. It's it's widely available in different places, and uh, and, and until next time, uh, you know we'll talk to you later. Bye.